0: So, if you guys have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 1, before I begin, let me just say one more time for anybody who may be here for the first time, first of all, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I don't know how you found out about Lakeview or heard about us, but thank you for acting on whatever that was and being here with us, Uh, and I'd love to meet you if it's your first time. I'd love to meet you, and uh, maybe go grab a cup of coffee one day or something. But second of all, just so you know, on these Sunday mornings, our MO in this gathering right here is to uh, study just straight through books of the Bible. Um, This semester, it's the book of Philippians. And uh, we just work straight through it until we get to the end of it. And we don't skip over anything. Uh, We just, you know, so that, why, why? But so that we can make sure that we talk about everything that it says. Because we believe that everything that it says is something that God said through the human author. And, uh, and it's all important. It's all instructive. And it's kind of handy, too, because you know that if you come regularly, wherever we left off last time is where we're going to pick up next time. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I'll add one, this one last reminder before we dive into our text today, that in our group meeting, if you're not in our group meeting, somebody at your table can add you. I always try to remind you in that a, a day or two ahead of time what our text is going to be coming up on Sunday morning so that you can uh, know that and be studying and reading it for yourself before you come. You'll just always get more out of it that way. But anyway, we need to get to our text today, Philippians 1. This morning we're going to look at a pretty short passage that is the tail end of the passage we looked at last week. We're just going to look at verses 9 through 11. Um, And if you're already open to Philippians 1, uh, if you look back at like verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul talked about how he prayed for them all the time. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you in every prayer of mine always, making my prayer with joy. So he's talking about how he prays for them all the time. And then what we're going to find in verses 9 through 11 is an actual prayer that he prays for them. Uh, and we'll take a close look at it this morning, but it's a pretty short passage um, and so I hope that I'll leave some time at the end for you to discuss it around your tables. If you found Philippians 1, let's read our passage, then we'll dive into it. Verses 9 through 11, Paul writes, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, what we just read is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And I pray that as we study this, uh, just three verses, Lord, would you give us eyes to see the truth that you would have us to see here would you give us minds to understand it very clearly? Would you give us, please, hearts to embrace and, and love and see as eternally important what we find here? Because it is. And would you give us wills to, to obey and change and heed whatever it is that you admonish us to do in these words? Give me the help that I need to teach, and would you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? In your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very straightforward passage and it very easily divides itself up. So if you're taking notes, here's what I want us to try to see as we try to follow Paul's train of thought. First, we're going to, in verse 9, what we're going to find is what I'll call the prayer. It's just, you have his prayer, it's a short one. You have the prayer in verse 9, it's just a one sentence prayer, but there's a good bit in that one sentence for us to think about. That's verse 9 the prayer. And then in verse 10, Paul is going to tell them the purpose for why he prayed what he prayed in verse 9. So verse 9 is the what, verse 10 is the why, uh, the purpose. And then finally in verse 11, we're going to see the product. What is the final outcome of the what and the why uh, of verses 9 and 10? If those, if those verses, if verses 9 and 10 are the what and the why, verse 11, is the so what. It's the so what. So, like I said, it's pretty straightforward, 9, 10, and 11, each one having its own little uh, point for us. And so, uh, let's dive in and think first about the prayer that Paul offers in verse 9. So, look at that verse again with me. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, if you're like me, you might read that, just read it quickly, and, 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 and sort of uh, initially believe or think that Paul is talking about their, their love for each other, that your love for each other might abound more and, and more. And without question, that would be a very good and biblical thing to pray. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a well-known passage where John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Um, but if you, if you look at what he's saying here, um, and, and if you, I was going to say, if you do look at what he says here, and you, you think of it in that way, it, it actually has some good counsel for us to love each other with knowledge and discernment. But, but a closer look, not just at these, this verse, but uh, the, this verse in its surrounding context shows that he's, he's addressing something a little different than that. What do I mean by that? Well, first, again, go back to the verses just before this one in the verses we looked at last Sunday. What was the gist of what he was telling them in those verses? Well, he was giving thanks for them, but why? Verse 5, he tells them why he was giving thanks for them because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what did that partnership in the gospel, what did that partnership look like? We'll look again at verse 7. He said, you are all partakers with me of grace. Now, let me just stop there for a second. Our English translations aren't aren't, uh, necessarily the clearest on this point, only because they have translated the same basic word two different ways. What I'm saying is, in verse 5, that word partnership is the same same root word as partakers in verse 7. They're the same root word. So, What I'm saying is whatever that partnership was in verse 5 is what they are partakers of in verse 7. And so go back to verse 7. You are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What do those words defense and, and confirmation mean? Basically defense is responding to and standing up to objections of the gospel And then confirmation would be giving positive arguments for the truth of the gospel. And so Paul is saying there that their partnership in the gospel with him from the first day until now had to do with not just their care for him while he was in prison, but their active engagement there in Philippi in gospel ministry, in the work and advancement of the gospel. And it's that that issues then into this prayer that he prays for them in our verses today. But before we come back to our verses today, look at the verses just after this in the ones that we're going to look at in the coming weeks for a little more context. What does Paul continue talking about in verse 12? He's still talking about the gospel and of the advancement of the gospel among unbelievers. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. And how verse 13 says it was even becoming known in Caesar's household. And then he says in verse 14 how others have uh, become bold to share their faith because of what he's gone through. And then the verses right after that, he's talking about people who preach the gospel from false motives, but he's like, hey, they're preaching the gospel. Why am I belaboring the context like this? Because it helps us understand the nature of the prayer he prays in verse 9. When he prays that their love may abound more and more. He's not, first and foremost, talking about their love for each other, as important as that is, because that hasn't been what he's talking about before, and it's not what he's going to be talking about after. Uh, What's he talking about in the context? He's talking about uh, gospel ministry to unbelievers. He's talking about about his his participation in that gospel ministry, even while he's in prison, And he's talking and he's thanking them for their participation with him in that same effort. So when in the middle of all of that, that he prays that their love may abound more and more, it seems pretty clear he's talking about their love for unbelievers, their their love for those who don't know the gospel, and presumably their love for Christ, um, whose gospel uh, which they're giving to which they're giving confirmation and defense. So this is a gospel-centered prayer. And for one thing, don't let it just blow right past you that this is a prayer. It's a prayer. He is praying that their love for Christ, that their love for unbelievers will grow and abound more and more and more. What does that tell you? The fact that it's a prayer that he's praying. It tells you uh, that there are things that we can do There are things that we can do. There are habits that we can form that that can sort of put our hearts and minds in a position to grow in love for those things. But it is ultimately a supernatural gift from God to grow in love for those things. Um, And it's, 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 it's a supernatural gift from God for which we should pray after Paul's example here. Our hearts don't naturally gravitate to the right things. They don't Naturally, love the things that we ought to love. They don't naturally desire the things that we ought to desire. They don't naturally see as important the things that really are important, the things that will be eternal and not fleeting away. But here's the other thing that, in addition to the fact that this is a prayer, uh, is, is that he is praying uh, that their love for Christ, their love for the lost, their love for gospel advancement, he's praying that it might grow more and more. It might abound more and more. And that's noteworthy from the fact, which we've already noted here, that Paul has already commended them and given thanks to God for their demonstration of this love already. That that They've been partners from the first day until now. They're already doing a good job. And he's praying and thanking God all the time for them. But that tells you. But now he's praying that they 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 would do that more and more. It tells you that even when we love the things of God, even when we love them in a demonstrable way, and people around us can say, "Yes, he 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 loves the Lord. He loves the lost." Our love for those things could still abound more and more. Um, that and that's another reason why this ought to be a prayer for ourselves just like Paul is praying for them because apart from God's provision we would too easily grow content in the obedience we're already walking in. Right? But notice how carefully Paul defines the love that he's praying for them. He prays specifically that their love would abound more and more, comma, with knowledge and all discernment. What does that mean? Joseph Hellerman points out that those two words Knowledge and discernment, have, they have to do with wise decision-making in, decision, in the practical arena of daily life. That just shows you that whatever love he's talking about here is, is not expressed predominantly as a feeling, but as a behavior, as a behavior toward people that you love. It's not just a, an affectionate feeling for them. It's a demonstrable behavior toward them. So, and knowledge here doesn't mean knowledge about a subject. It's talking about an experiential relational knowledge. So it would seem that Paul is praying that they would abound more and more in their experiential relational knowledge of of Christ as they walk in obedience to Him, but also in their relationships with unbelievers to know how to love them best, to, to relationally know how to love them best as they bear witness to Christ. And he says, in all discernment, all discernment. It doesn't mean in in complete discernment. All there means discernment in all kinds of circumstances. And and, and it's talking about as you love unbelievers, discerning how best practically to love them. Uh, Discernment to stay away from as you love unbelievers. Having the discernment to stay away from ungodly or unwise situations. And and the ability to to distinguish what is best, this is the kind of love that Paul is praying the Philippians would abound more and more in. And it's the kind of love that we should abound more and more in. And we need to start where Paul teaches us to start here. And that's prayer. Uh, this pa- this passage admonishes us to pray, right? I, I I prayed at the beginning of this, Lord, would you give us wills to obey, whatever it is you admonish us to do. Well, if this if this passage is admonishing us to do anything, it's to pray after Paul's example here. And we should pray in the way that he prays here for opportunities to bear witness to Christ, to opportun- for opportunities to build relationships with those who don't know Christ so that, so that we can love them as image bearers and also love them in the, in the most important way, which is to share Christ with them, to abound more and more for love for believers, to make the advancement of the gospel, the primary purpose of my life, and to have the knowledge and the discernment to see those opportunities when the Lord gives them to us and take them. Paul says that a little more explicitly as we come to verse 10 and consider the purpose he gives for this prayer. Think about that with me for a minute. Looking again at verse, verse 10, you can see that he's giving up. The, you can see that the prayer is, is contained in verse 9. He's going to give a purpose in verse 10, and you can see it because he begins it with so that. Why did I pray that in verse 9? So that, verse 10, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So let's think through what Paul is saying there. He says, first of all, so that you may approve. So that you may approve. Let just dive in a little bit here and say that the word that Paul Uses there just translated approve. Um, that, that's a word that's used a lot in the New Testament, and it's and it's a word that was often used for testing precious metals. To test a precious metal, and they would subject that precious metal to intense heat, so that what was left after the dross melted away was the was the precious metal itself, the pure precious metal. That's a word that's used a lot in the New Testament. It's one, of, one that Paul's using here. And, and, he's, and he's like, when he says approve, it's like so that we can approve through the testing and putting to the test of our lives. He's saying he's the, the testing would simply be our experiences and our lives of obedience. And by experience, through that testing, we come to approve something. We come to see something more clearly. What? He says that you may approve what is excellent. And he doesn't spe- he didn't spell out here in black and white what that is. So what is what is excellent? Um, well, on the one hand, it could mean anything that's truly good, right? Um, I say that because a similar idea comes up later in the letter. Just flip over to chapter 4 real quick. If you look at, at chapter 4, you have a similar idea in chapter 4, verse 8. Um, and... Uh, And Paul says there, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you can see that idea here. If there is any excellence... But that verse in chapter 4, verse 8 is, is much more expansive than I think what we have in chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 8, he's talking about whatever is good. He's talking about if anything is worthy of praise, whatever it may be, wherever it may be found, think about these things. But if you go back to our passage in chapter 1, what he's talking about in verse 10 even though, despite what it looks like in our English translation, it, 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 it's actually plural. It's actually so that you may approve the excellent things, the excellent things. It's, it's put, we've already seen, it's put in the middle of a context where the advancement of the gospel is the thing of highest importance. For Paul, even though he's in prison, look, the gospel is still advancing, even among Caesar's household. And you, you're not in prison. Thank you for being partners in that from the first day until now. It's all about gospel advancement and all the things associated with gospel advancement. That seems to be what is in Paul's mind when he talks about what is excellent. The things that are excellent uh, are, are, are of highest importance and worth. And you put the whole phrase together, how do we come to approve what is excellent? It's, it's, it's by the testing, uh, by testing through the obedience of our lives. Testing through our own personal experience, through stepping out in obedience to Christ, to faithfully bear witness to Christ in our lives as we have opportunity. And we're looking for those opportunities, not just waiting on them. Through that obedience of our own, it's through that that we come to know by our own experience and our own testing that that is the most excellent thing. That, That that is the most fulfilling and satisfying way to spend my time and my life and my breath bearing witness to Christ. It is nothing more. What, What Paul is saying here in Philippians 1 is nothing more than exactly what Jesus said. If we believe Jesus, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But what does he say next? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake, we'll find it. We'll find it. Is that, is that only a word for literal martyrs for the faith? I mean, if a believer literally loses his life for the sake of Christ, Christ is going to make good on that promise, right? And that person will then know life in the presence of Christ like he's never known it before. But this is also what Jesus had a promise for every believer. Who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's for every believer because even short of literal martyrdom, we come to Christ, and if we're truly going to follow him, Jesus said it involves denying yourself. It's refusing to associate with your old self, right? We come to Christ, and we lay down the priorities that I formerly had for my own life. I lay down, I die to myself so that I can find my life, I can find my purpose that's going to f- make me most happy in this life and for all eternity in Christ and His purpose to advance His gospel. G- that, that's, that's life that Jesus says in John is abundant life. And I believe that's exactly what Paul has in mind in chapter 1, verse 10, when he's talking about the excellent things. It's like he, when he says... Through your experience, you come to approve it. It's like an invitation. Come and see. Come and see. And he says that that in that, God sanctifies us. We become pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It is true that the the Lord sanctifies us as we walk in obedience to him. That's true individually. But Paul's talking here to the whole church. And he's saying that that they, as a church, would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Of Christ, as they they as a church, collectively see the advancement of the gospel as the most important thing, and they spend their lives for Christ in that way. He is saying, "You as a church will will grow pure and blameless for My coming again." And I see that in the sense of uh, uh, of of in the same way as like Jesus sending the seven the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. You, in the in the first part of the book of Revelation, Jesus writes letters to seven churches, and in most all the letters, he has something to commend them for, and then he'll say, "But I have this against you." Only two of the churches of those seven churches did he commend them for something and not have any correction to give them. And I see Paul sort of saying that as we, yes, individually, but yes, together as a church, and. In its college ministry, we give ourselves to that. In our missional community groups, we give ourselves to that. As we collectively find our highest good and goal, and as the most excellent pursuit of our time uh, in our lives, the advancement of the gospel, we will receive that commendation and blessing of Christ. And that's kind of where he goes in the final point of this passage. And I'm really excited about how much time I'm going to leave you around your table. Um, I've never left you this much time. It's, I'm so proud. Um, in verse 11, he ge- he's given us the prayer in verse 9. He, that's the what. He's given us the purpose in verse 10. That's the why. And in verse 11, he'll show us the product, which will address the so what. Think about that with me for a little bit, and then we'll have some time around the tables. Verse 11. He writes, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, not to be needlessly nerdy or pedantic, but the, the tense of the participle that Paul uses right there, translated filled, filled. The tense of that verb, that tense of that participle takes you to the end of the story and is looking back on right now, okay? It takes you to the end of the story, and it's looking back on right now. What I mean is verse 11 is written from the vantage point of the day of Christ mentioned in verse 10, Uh, and what will be on that day, and it's looking back on what, what will be the case on that day if we do the things of verse 9 and 10 what will be on that day if we're faithful in this life uh, to to abound more and more in love for the unbelievers we know and we're zealously committed to the advancement of the gospel. It says on that day, on that day, we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And here's what we need to say about that. We talk a lot about the, the gospel. We talk about, yes, me a sinner, you a sinner, who is guilty before God in your own flesh and in your own self, the only way we can be righteous before God is through the righteousness of Jesus for us. Okay? That's true. And He is my righteousness. He is your righteousness. I don't have any righteousness but Him in terms of my justification before God. Right? I have no righteousness of my own to stand justified before God. My only hope in justification before God is the righteousness of Jesus granted and credited to me through faith. And, it, and, and, and from that standpoint, I'm as righteous as I could ever be right now because it's the perfect righteousness of Christ already given to me. I can't even be any more righteous in, that, in terms of justification than I am right now because it's His righteousness, not mine. But on the other hand, This verse isn't talking about that. This verse is talking about the fruit of righteousness that has accrued not on the day of justification, but over a lifetime of sanctification on the day of glorification. That's what this is talking about. And when it says filled with the fruit of righteousness, it's referring to the righteousness of our lives. Yes, that Jesus did through us by his Holy Spirit, but it's the righteousness of my life and your life, the the fruit of our lives of obedience. To quote Hellerman one more time, he notes, he, he says what Paul is saying here, Paul is desiring that they be not only acquitted on the last day, but also filled with the fruit of godly deeds. That's what he's saying. That's what we're after. But I said that this point would address the so what? Where is that? It's in the last phrase here. To the glory and praise of God. And the most intuitive reading of that is that the fruit of, of, our, of the righteousness of our lives, that is, on that day, our, our lives of obedience are going to result in God receiving praise and glory. One, because He was worthy of our lives. And two, He worked that righteousness in us as we walked in obedience. We're just trophies of His grace working through us. And that is a true and right reading of to the glory and praise of God. And so the so what is just that. Why, why should we pray that our love for the lost would abound more and more and that we would, we would, we would spend our lives as that being, that being the most excellent thing, the most, why is that the highest aim of our life, the so what? Because God is worthy of the praise and the glory he receives from those lives of faithful obedience. God is worthy of it. That's the so what. But there is a good argument to be made that there is a second shade of meaning here. That it's not just the praise and the glory that God will receive from us on that day. But the praise and glory he will grant to us on that day. In the sense that Jesus did tell us, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Right? Jesus used self-interest to motivate. And so a second so what answer is that You will be doing yourself eternal favors to follow hard after Jesus and spend your life and your days for the advancement of the gospel. We'll take a few minutes around your tables to discuss what we have seen in these short verses. You could talk about whatever someone says about it. Or you could always talk about questions like, what did it teach me about God? What did it teach me about myself? And what did it admonish me to do? And I'll come and close us in a few minutes.